This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hi, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. How are you doing, Max? I'm great, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. A little bit of cold, I think, like many people. A little bit of sore throat and all that. But but apart from that, all good. How about you? I'm good. You still sound uh, quite quite good, though. You got that. It's like you put on your radio voice. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to get sick to sound good. <laughs> That's right. But I'm doing well, thank you. But uh, so, who do we have on the 3D pod today? So today we've got Sherry Monroe, and Sherry Monroe is executive director of the Manufacturer Green Trade Association, the AMGTA, and that's like one of the well trade associations for 3D printing. This one is like with a, uh, a focus on like the sustainability and the environmental benefits of 3D printing. And well, what do they do? What does the AMGT, AMGTA do and all that kind of stuff? That's what we're going to find out today. And uh, before that, Sherry uh, worked as a consultant. She worked for the American Red Cross as a program manager and in sales and things like that. And uh, now she ends up yeah, leading a, you know, a trade association. So also, I think we'd like to find out a little bit more about the mechanics of a trade association. How do you set one up? How does it work? And what do they do? So uh, yeah, but for all that, we'd like to welcome Sherry to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, so Sherry, first off, like this trade association thing, I mean, what does a trade association do, first off? What, what, what does it actually do? Yeah, so, uh, it, you know, it's an opportunity to bring uh, companies together within a, a sector, a business sector, and really promote uh, collaborations and, and to be able to do things uh, that really a company of, of any size can't do on their own, which is do some uh, objective work, uh, sort of removed from just one company's um, business uh, objectives and really uh, promote that sector and uh, kind of bring things to a higher level, kind of a, a greater than the sum of the parts type of deal. So what do you guys do? What are the sum of stuff you guys do? You do education, you do lobbying, what kind of stuff do you guys do? Yeah, so uh, first of all, we're like the only global organization really uh, focusing on on additive in this way and, and focused on sustainability. But some of the things that we're doing with our members and our members really span the entire uh, AM ecosystem, right? So everything from source materials, printers, uh, software, all the way through to the AM users. We kind of see it in those two parts. There's the AM technology developers and the AM technology users. And our members really comprise all of that. But some of the things that we're doing, um, you know, bringing folks together for, uh, you know, building relationships, building collaborations, but also doing research, use case studies, really trying to understand additive, where it's more sustainable, where it's not, sort of how to build this business case for additive, uh, really with the focus of, you know, more sustainable manufacturing. Okay, okay. And, and how did you get started with this? Did you just see all at one point you, just, you spotted this as like an opportunity or how did, how did you see this as like, well, how did this come to be? You're yeah, just like, hey, so a trade I, group, I, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the organization's about four years old. Um, I've been here for about a year and a half now. Um, and this was really started uh, by Brian Neff at Centavia and some other uh, folks in the industry that he was working with who were really seeing the the, the sustainability, the environmental gain potential through additive and trying to push that individually is kind of challenging. And they said, you know what, it'd be really great if there was an organization just dedicated to this. 
And sort of that was sort of the genesis of this is, is getting some key players in the industry together. Uh, that was four years ago. We now have about 60 members uh, around the world and uh, continuing to grow. Where, okay. where is the majority of the membership based? Is, are you, yeah. is it more yeah. like so US? it's about yeah. 45% North America, 45% Europe, and then the rest kind of scattered around the world. So, uh, but that, that's the kind of the two primary areas there, but, but, it, you know, increasing, um, presence in, in other areas as well. So we're really excited about that. It really brings, you know, a different perspective, different view, you know, as you guys know, looking at sustainability and additive, uh, all of those issues, you know, Europe is a different view than the U S you know, versus maybe Asia. And so it's really important uh, for us to kind of have all of that perspective, uh, in what we're doing. Well, okay. How do you do this first off? Are you like, like, do you fund like a, a you have, you go to a, a lawyer and you get an association done? How does it work? Can I just call myself an association tomorrow? Or how does it work? Yeah. So, I mean, technically we're a nonprofit organization. We're based here in the United States. Uh, we're in Florida. So sunny Florida, you know, come on down and visit. We can help you get rid of that sore throat you got there from uh, being up north. But um so we're located here, you know, it, it's a nonprofit organization. We have a board of directors uh, that are, uh, you know, leaders in the industry that really help shape our focus um, and our objectives and our direction. Um, our, our organization is uh, completely funded through our members. And so as we do research projects and, and things like that, it, it's funded by them uh, because this is a group of you know, individuals and organizations who really see the value of working together. They see the potential of this um, and and they understand the potential of this sector and that there's way more to be gained by working together than, you know, battling each other over some static pie because there's just so much uh, to be gained here. So, you know, for the companies who aren't interested in working together, aren't interested in collaborating, you know, they, they probably don't join our organization because that's really what we're about. Okay, so, and who's it for? Is it large companies, big companies, startups, like individuals? What kind of thing? Because you said yeah, you know, so, from all parts of the value chain, but what kind of size companies and stuff? Yeah, it's really all size companies. Um, all of our members are companies, not not individual members. Um, but it's it's really spreads the gamut from small startup companies through some of the really big uh, OEMs that that. You know, honestly, even even the really big OEMs, as a lot of us know, their AM section is almost more like a small startup within those organizations. And so um, but but understand we really see a value in having those OEMs as part of the conversation because they're the ones, you know, that this technology needs to address. Right. What are their business objectives they're trying to address and tackle? And what does this technology need to do for them? Because we can develop the coolest AM widget, but if it doesn't solve some business need, it, it's just a cool experiment. You know, it's just a fun project. So uh, it, it's really important to have all those folks on board to be able to talk about these things. And, and how much does this cost? What's the, I guess it would be yeah, a different exactly. range, right? But how much would, it, would I pay that kind of? Yeah, yeah, it's it's like five thousand dollars a year for members to be a part of this, um, and that's you know we have one really one membership level um, other than our board members, and uh, you know that gets them full access to everything that we're doing, whether that's working groups, research projects, uh, use case studies, really all of that. And you're looking okay. for frankly anyone kind of within the additive or additive adjacent. Uh, 
space at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it could be that that's, this is their primary uh, area, you know, an EOS or an SLM or, or a Syntavia, you know, that are really focused on EM, but it could, you know, we also have John Deere and, you know, Target, anybody in the U.S., especially this time of year is where we're just talking about Christmas toys. Uh, Target's a, a great member because they're using uh, additive for a number of things. So, um, yeah, it, it really could be anybody that's participating in this area. And then we also have some other associations that are working in at AM advocacy groups that have relationships with us, some universities that are, uh, have sort of incubators within them and are doing research. Uh, that work with us as well. So really, uh, we see this as, you know, the more people we can get working together and collaborating, um, you know, the better. That way we're not duplicating efforts and we can really leverage uh, what what each other is doing. Okay. It sounds like a 3D pen supplier should join. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the green bit because, okay, everybody always says that additive is green because we use less material and less stalk and stuff like that, which, okay, we could maybe think that's true. But I think the real situation is a little bit more complicated than that, right, Jerry? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the case for, uh, you know, and I think you pointed out a lot of these things, uh, Joris, in the in the four articles you did um, about about the death of AM. Uh, but, um, you know, I think, I think it's really important when you're making the case for additive, uh, whether you're specifically aiming at uh, sustainability or just simply, you know, better manufacturing or better supply chains, is really understanding the bigger picture. If you're only looking at part for part comparison, you know, it's like comparing a, a early automobile to a horse. Like this, you know, to paraphrase Henry Ford, we're not, we're not building a faster horse here. And really looking at the entire business use case is critically important because that's often where you really see the benefits. It's not just can we, you know, reproduce this part. It's and and not only within the part production, you know, where we can do new geographies, part consolidation. Those things are great and they're awesome. But there's often even a bigger, much bigger story to be told, which is what does this enable a business to do? You know, it may not be that printing that part is more sustainable, but now it allows us to avoid overproduction. And that's where your gain is. That's where your business gain is. That's where your economic gain is. That's where your environmental gain is. So if you're just myopically focused on part for part comparison, you can really miss the story here. I I often tell people it's sort of like comparing your iPhone to a landline. If you're comparing that uh, iPhone based on how good of a phone call it makes, it doesn't make that good of a phone call, but you're really missing what an iPhone delivers if that's your comparison. And I think AM is in a similar you know, situation where we've got to focus a little bit less on the features and more on the business benefits and really leverage that. That's what's going to increase acceptance and adoption. If you're talking to an OEM and you don't understand what their actual hurdles are, to adoption or what they're trying to achieve, uh, you know, you, you've got a, a tough challenge there. And when you say the word OEM, I just want to be a little bit clear because, like, you're talking about is it like Toyota, for example, or is that an OEM for you? Or yeah, I, I mean, it, I, usually I don't use that term. Usually, I, I just say more of an AM user. The people that are using okay, AM, okay. whether they're using it for you know, internal operations, uh, you know, the ones that are going to make and or use these parts, you know, 
those people that are users of AM technology, whether they're printing it in-house or, or you know, having a you know a contract uh, manufacturer make the, these parts and components for them, if, if if it's not solving some kind of business objective for them, you know, then that's a bit of a challenge. And often that's where the sustainability comes as well, right? So sometimes sustainability is a core objective, but quite often it's a fortunate unintended consequence of simply running a more efficient business, whether it's using less energy, using less material, creating less waste that you have to pay to do something with. Um, as mentioned, you know, reducing overproduction, you know, producing a bunch of parts that eventually end up in the bin. Those are really great economic drivers. That's a more efficient business. And guess what? It's also more sustainable. So, you know, we really see these things as tracking together as opposed to thinking, well, we can either be economically viable or sustainable, you know, take your pick. Well, if it's if it's presented like that, if sustainability is presented as, you know, feels like taking your medicine, yeah, uh, people just aren't interested in that. Businesses aren't, in, you know, they can't do that. But if you can see how those things track together, wow, now you have, you know, uh, a really winning combination. And the sustainability may not be the core objective, but it may be the sort of extra credit. You know, it's the extra, you know, we're, we're running more efficiently. Oh, and by the way, we're more sustainable in the way we're doing this. Okay, so, so if we're talking about these things, like, for example, the stock example you're saying, is that, is that something you'll see, you know, is that something we're going to see sector by sector? Or is that something you, you're going to see, you expect to see that in a lot of companies, but only in like the prototyping and then evolving into more end use parts? Or how do you see that kind of maturity level increase? Yeah, you know, I think I think for adoption of any new technology and, and while AM is not new in a lot of ways, it, you know, is very new um, for a lot of the companies that are being exposed to it. I, you know, I think there's tends to be sort of a progression, you know, companies maybe use this for rapid prototyping at first and and then they graduate into sort of operational internal use, um, you know, for jigs, fixtures, spare parts, those kinds of things. And, and that is an area for them to really get comfortable with the technology, understand what it will do, and also build up their team, their expertise internally or in relationships that they build with other um, suppliers. And that gives them a way to get comfortable with this, understand what the capabilities are, sort of peel that onion back as they start to understand more and more what AM can do for them. And that, I think, is a logical process before they start putting this into, you know, the products that they're, you know, producing and selling. And that really, I mean, you can sum that up in one word, risk, right? It's one thing if you're producing a part uh, that you're using internally and see how that works and, and, and all of that. That's, you know, that's a different story than if you're going to produce, you know, 100,000 of this part, put it in the thing that you distribute and, and you know, I have concerns about it. So I think that's a pretty normal progression. It's not every company's progression, uh, but I think that's often the case. And, and really understanding those factors around risk, and it's not just about sort of official certifications and that kind of thing. Sometimes it's simply a, a comfort level. You know, we were producing this part in a different way. Are we comfortable with it? You know, do we feel like the risk is, is being satisfied? And, uh, so I think understanding what are those challenges for adoption are really important. Okay, and in that kind of context, like if you see a, if you see this kind of this, this comfort level approach, right, where it's not a serious mm -hmm. top down, we're going to change everything, but kind of a gradual, 
you know, kind of work like those people that get in the swimming pool, like on the steps, you know, a little step by step, you know, yeah. um, uh, you know, what's the driver for getting them to do that? What, what are some of the drivers you're seeing to get these people to adopt AM? Well, I think, um, I think, you know, quite often it's economic, it's operational. Um, uh, we're working with one of our members right now that's looking at doing spare parts. Um, and they initially were looking at the spare parts using AM for spare parts, really just from a, you know, get the job done. We just need to be able to get the parts and not have to wait weeks to get them from, you know, across the ocean kind of thing. But when they started to understand the bigger capability of additive, that this was going to be uh, a way of keeping maybe older equipment that's out of warranty and difficult to get parts. It's going to keep this equipment up and running longer. Suddenly, this becomes not just a sort of a maintenance, how do we keep things running, but wow, this has a, a potential for a really big economic impact and also a really big sustainability impact. If we're not having to scrap equipment and we can keep this stuff up and running longer, suddenly you go from just the, the little AM area within the company being excited to, wow, now you've got the finance people really excited. You've got the sustainability people really excited. You've kind of got everybody really excited about this potential. But it's helping them see what the bigger business case is for this. It's not just, you know, is it more cost effective pro to produce this one, you know, part. It's, it's understanding the bigger business impact. And that's where I think as an industry, we've got to do a much better job, uh, not just talking about features. We've got to talk about benefits and help businesses understand that and get those business cases out there that is in, in an understandable way not just to an AM community, right? We yeah. have to be talking, you know, we, within our organization, we talk to the AM community about sustainability, but we also talk to a broader manufacturing and sustainability audience about additive manufacturing and what it can do for them. Yeah, I, th I think that's an interesting point. I mean, and we always have that, that socialization of AM or that kind of that, that change management kind of stuff. That's the tricky part. Do you have advice for people who are trying to, because you, you just said it really easy, and then the sustainability people are excited, and then the operation, the finance. And to me, that kind of doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So they never get, like in most yeah, they cases, they get never excited. get excited. It's just exactly. us being yeah. not happy with us, you know? So yeah. how do you win the company, the whole company, to, well, to, to this initiative? Yeah, I think part of it is helping those AM champions within that organization, helping them make the business case, helping them understand this. You know, uh, uh, no offense to all the engineers listening. Uh, I am not an engineer. I'm a business person. And so I can make the business case for this. And it's important to be able to do that, um, to be able to understand the business case. Why would somebody do this? What is the benefit to the business? And, and help those champions within the organization uh, push this information up, right? May understand the business case, understand the economics of this and what this could really do in terms of, of efficiency and resiliency and uh, impacts on supply chains. And it might, you know, one, one of the things we're doing with one of our, or actually uh, several of our members is putting together use case studies where we said, okay, what are your challenges here? You know, what is keeping your company from adopting this? Well, one for one of them, it was sort of this comfort level with AM produced spare parts. OK, well, let's put together a use case study where that's part of what we study. We get these parts, you know, uh, uh, tested in a, in a way that sort of achieves, satisfies your your concerns. 
because otherwise, you know, you can have a faster printer, bigger printer, more lasers, but if that doesn't address what their problem is, you know, you can do all those things, even even making it cheaper. If that's not what their concern is, you know, you haven't gotten anywhere. So I think helping those champions within, it, within the organization really understand what the, the challenge is, uh, what would be the motivators, and, and be able to make the case for that. Okay, so so if we do this, like you know, it seems like like a, a lot of the the 3D printing thing is, well, it's, it's it's a small department, right? So it's also like in this company, you're already working for the small department. You know, do you have do you have to train everyone in the company to use a, a, a 3D printing, or is it just like, you know, or, or or is it just enough for them to see the business case without really understanding the technology? Well, I think it depends on you know who you're talking to in the organization. You know, if you're you know helping them understand, you know. What does it do for them? You know, what does it do for their department? If you're talking to the finance people, helping them understand the economic impacts of this, of you know, reducing overproduction, not having to have you know warehouse as many parts, uh, avoiding waste, um, you know, those kinds of things. If you're talking to the supply chain people, helping them understand how this impacts them and benefits them, and you know, if you're talking about the operational people, or you know, it, it really kind of depends on who you're talking to. You sort of like know your audience and be able to make the case and help them understand that aspect of it. Um, and so that's that's part of what we're trying to do too, because this is a challenging thing for every company to do on their own. Um, and so that's why we're trying to study more and more business use cases, understand not only the technical aspects of of uh, the sustainability and the business case for this, but also that economics, how these things go together, because just having one line on the on the chart isn't going to do it. If you can see how these things go together, um, and how it's not a matter of picking economics over sustainability, you know that that certainly helps make the case. Because it, like you said, it it is quite often a very small department within this organization that's trying to push this rock up the hill, right? And so. Uh, the more we can help them do that, we, whether it's AMGTA or we as a, uh, that whole AM sector uh, can do that, it's, it really benefits all of us. Okay. And and what about the sustainability part of this? Because, like, the, the thing about sustainability, it's very difficult to define what that even means. I mean, what does that mean and how do you even, like, keep score, let's say, like, better than or, you know, it loses less water but more CO2 and less energy and, you know, how do you even, like, keep score of, of being more sustainable? Yeah, so it really can encompass a lot of different things, right? It can be around, uh, you know, just less energy consumption in producing a part. Um, but even that you have to look, you know, as we all know, you have to look at the source material production. You know, if you're producing powders, what does that look like? That takes a lot of energy. Uh, printing can take a lot of energy depending on what you're doing. Um, so really understanding that from a, just a very, um, straightforward CO2 equivalent kind of comparison, you know, water usage, you know, those things can be measured. But also, um, again, in looking at from from the broader business perspective, but around sustainability, you know, if you're having to have parts shipped in and shipping things all over the place, um, if you're, you know, if you're overproducing parts, well, you know, if I'm producing a part using energy, material, creating waste, for a part that then gets, uh, you know, goes in the waste bin eventually at some point, that's not sustainable. And you can measure all of those things along the way. Um, I was talking to uh, someone that works in the uh, photo curables, 
area. And they said, well, you know, uh, photocurables are not exactly the most sustainable. And I said, well, but when you're thinking about additive manufacturing, one of the ad one of the big benefits of additive is reducing overproduction. And so it may not be that you're making this part more sustainably, but you're simply making fewer of them. That's a huge sustainability gain right there. And so, you know, and they said, because they weren't, you know, this wasn't a finance person. They said, but how do you assign a value to a part you don't produce? I said, oh, believe me, your finance and sustainability people absolutely can assign a value to a part you don't produce and, and don't have to waste. Um, so from a sustainability standpoint, you know, what is this really allowing the company to do? You know, you're saving on shipping. You know, if you can do more, if you can produce or, or move production closer to demand, now closer may mean geographically closer and impact shipping, or it may mean just closer in the decision tree so that you know we don't have to guess which spare parts do we need a bunch of and which do we only need a few of or or which you know color item is the consumer going to you know favor this year um if you can move it closer in that decision tree again you can really impact overproduction um, or where and when production takes place and those can really provide big sustainability gains and that's what additive can do for you helping for us in turn you know within the or um, the am sector to understand that and really leverage what does am really bring to this that traditional manufacturing doesn't um, and and really help businesses see that and and leverage that make use of those those additional capabilities um, is going to be really important because that's what's going to help increase acceptance and adoption. And then, but then, okay, on the one hand, I mean, I think you could see your responsibility as being either, well, one or either or one of these two things or kind of the both combined. Like either you could say you could make the world believe that additive is more uh, like sustainable or you could actually make additive more sustainable. That's, you know what I mean? By making additive more sustainable, it, you know, it makes it harder for people and not, you know, have less of a big club of people that, that are happy with you. But making everybody believe will make it kind of like, you know, will make everybody love you guys, but you may actually have less impact, right? Or, or how do you see your role? Well, you know, I think really um, looking at this from a lot of different perspectives, uh, really, I think you're right. You, you do have to make additive more sustainable, you know, looking at um, different types of materials, you know, recycling metals, uh, you know, figuring out uh, some of the things around the plastics, uh, making more efficient equipment, you know, better post-processing process, you know, all of that um, is really important, you know, whether it's looking at it from a sustainability standpoint or efficiency or cost, all of those things are really important to do those things sort of within the AM structure. Um, but also understanding the bigger impact. You know, if you look at a, a, a metal printer company right now, you know, it's important that they build obviously better machines, better can mean a lot of different things, um, but also understanding what are they enabling their customer to do? Sometimes their sustainability story is not so much what they're doing, but what they're enabling their customer to do, to be able to produce things more efficiently, more effectively, more sustainably. And so understanding sort of both sides of that, how are they operating within their own space um, and what are they delivering to their customers? But, you know, I see the AM sector and companies that are looking at AM as being somewhat this unsettled ground, right? Like sort of figuring out where this is going. 
um, it, which is great. It's a great opportunity. We don't have companies stuck in, well, this is the way we've done it for 50 years. Now, some of those manufacturers are still sort of like that, but we can help that AM, uh, essentially AM startup within their organization really kind of uh, blossom and, and uh, uh, make the case. Uh, that's, I think, where we need to be. So it's really you know, we can't just focus on one part of this. We really sort of have to be doing all of them. But I think that's also where organizations like ours come into play. You know, even a company the size of Siemens really can't do this on their own. You know, that's one of the things where like when we commission use case or business uh, research, you know, business case uh, research, um, where we're looking at the sustainability impact, the economic impact, you know, we can do it in a way that for any in, any company to do research on their own, which is great, and many companies are, and they should do more and more. But it's one thing for them to put out research saying, "Hey, it turns out we're awesome," versus you know an independent project done by an organ commissioned by an organization like ours. You know the research is done by a reputable you know organization or university, and put that out in an independent, transparent way has can have a much bigger impact. And so that's where, you know, advocacy organizations, some of the regional AM um, uh, trade associations and, and ours can really make a big difference in sort of pushing this forward in a more objective, independent, collaborative way that really any company, regardless of size, really can't do on their own. But that seems sensible, but at the same time, like, how do you like, you know, are you going to like ever do like a comparison between material extrusion and SLA or something saying like, you know, material extrusion can use recycled materials and, and the materials can be recycled. And, you know, actually, actually like in all ways, uh, VAT polarization is worse because it uses like, you know, high energy, uh, you know, more harmful materials that can't be recycled. Are you going to do stuff like that? Do you see that your role or is it like, no, no, we have VAT polarization. Let's try to make that a little bit better. Yeah, I think it really could be all of those things. I think I think you could do studies looking at all of those aspects to really understand, you know, where is it better, where is it not. But again, you know, depending on the use case, and this can be very specific to a use case. I don't think you can just say, you know, uh, powder bed fusion is better or it's worse. Like, it, well, it depends. What are you doing? You know, what are you making? How many are you making? When do you need them? You know, and all of those those types of uh, factors really play into this. But again, if you can avoid, you know, overproduction, if you can create a, a, a situation where you can, you know, uh, better iterate this, this part or this component so it, it functions better and we don't have to go through, you know, as many of them, reduce failure, you know, there's a lot of ways for this to become better. And I don't think you can just look at one one slice of that um, life cycle. I, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and somebody said, um, I was really disappointed to hear, said, well, they didn't really know what the future of powder bed fusion was uh, because the cost of powder is expensive. I, I was just, I, I was kind of dumbfounded. I, I thought that's not, you can't judge it based on one slice like that. That's a little bit like trying to compare air freight to rail freight by comparing the uh, the cost of a liter of diesel fuel to a, a you know a liter of jet fuel, like yeah, there's a different cost, but that's not how you evaluate this. That is a factor, but wow, you're missing the point. And so 
I think for additive, we have to be, we do have to study all those, those slices of, you know, what does the powder production look like? What is the, you know, production of the part? What is the post-processing or machine finishing? All of those things look like it's important to look at all those stages, but to just look at one slice and make a decision, um, you know, you're making a decision on half the information or maybe a tenth the information. And that's where I think we have to help the companies that are looking to adopt AM or adopt it in a bigger way, see the full picture and not just say, wow, powder's expensive or the printer's really expensive. Uh, so therefore it doesn't make sense. And how do you look up at, like, we do see that companies are really trying to get green, but they want it to be quick. I'm not necessarily saying everybody wants to greenwash because there are a lot of people that don't want to do that too. But uh, the, a lot of other people just want like a kind of, we can be, you know, we can be green, but it'll take us a week, right? <laughs> if, if there was week? like a drop in solution, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly, like, exactly. like, yeah. like, like <laughs> PHA is currently when I'm like, Ooh, is this a possibility or A or B, you know, like, does that, yeah. <laughs> what is it? How do we do yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, sustainability, you know, sustainability is a challenging thing. And I, I'm always careful to use terms like greenwashing and things like that, because one person's greenwashing is another person's just getting started, you know, and companies will quit, you know, go for some easy wins up front. Like, why wouldn't you, you know, that low hanging fruit, go for those things um, as you're also getting people sort of mentally and emotionally and culturally on board with the ideas of operating more sustainably. But, you know, the, the thinking about greenwashing is a lot like trying to measure intent. It's hard to know somebody's intent. It really takes actions over time to determine what they're doing. Um, and I think, I think also labeling things as greenwashing can be counterproductive in that, you know, we really need to be in encouraging companies that are making strides in the right direction. Uh, encourage them to continue. And one of the things we're trying to do within our organization is really share information. Everybody doesn't have to learn the same lessons the hard way. Like let's collaborate and, and, and share ideas and share best practices of how to go about some of these things so that we can see bigger gains and, and, really, and really do that. But yeah, just saying we're going to be more sustainable on, as a, like a, a sole objective doesn't really work. Um, because like, what does that mean? It, it's sustainability is more a result. It's not, um, an action. Um, it's being more efficient. It's being more effective. It's being more thoughtful. It's, it's thinking through the whole process. Like, like you're talking about some of these materials, don't wait till we're done. We have waste or we have, you know, parts at the end of the life and then go, Oh, how do we recycle these? That needs, that thought needs to be baked in right from the time the, the parter component was designed and the material was selected and the process was selected, you know, all the way through with an idea of what happens to the waste, what happens to the supports, what happens to the failed prints, what happens to the powder or, or whatever when it can't be used anymore and the part after its life. That, that thought has to be in the entire cycle, whether you're trying to go for a circular uh, process or a spiral process, either way. Um, and going for circular sometimes is a bit a, too big of a jump at the beginning. Just go for go for spiral. How do we get a couple more laps around the circle out of this material? Uh, you know, versus uh, going for the holy grail of it being you know really completely circular. So I think having reasonable uh, ideas of how you you 
build this into your process is really important. And then another thing is, I think some things we notice that in the in in Europe, the sustainability thing seems to be a much more critical, much more kind of front of mind, if you will, much more a higher priority, even in really large companies, and even in really industrial companies that, that for this, you know, for whom this would be a really uh, you know, really difficult step. And in America, it seems to be less of a priority. Would you agree with that? Or is it just like less on the corporate agenda, right? Well, I I think regulation has a lot to do with that, right? You know, so there's a lot more coming from whether it's the EU or or, uh, individual uh, countries in terms of really pushing sustainability. Um, Part of it is cultural, I think, as well. Um, But really, but I also think even companies in the U.S., especially if it's a company of size that's operating internationally, you know, whether they're based in the U.S. or not, they're still impacted by uh, these requirements and expectations, whether it's, you know, governmental requirements or simply expectations and uh, requirements of of customers. Uh, Sustainability has to be an aspect of this. And uh, I think the companies that aren't looking at that are going to be caught, you know, flat-footed. Um, and I think really, and, and, and George, when we were at the AM Forum uh, Berlin back in July, you know, one of the things I said sort of to the crowd of at when we were doing our panel there was, you know, any company that's in AM, uh, whether you're providing materials, printers, any kind of equipment, software, whatever, if you're not touting your sustainability benefit, and or don't understand it, you're really missing something. If, you know, I'll, I'd be happy to, whether you're a member of ours or not, help you understand that 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 potential. Because if you're going, well, gee, I don't know, we're you know doing you know like let's say the photo curables, we don't really know what our sustainability story is. Well, what you're providing your customer, the ability you're providing, uh, capability you're providing your customer has a significant sustainability potential. That doesn't mean they're doing it in a sustainable way, but it certainly has a big potential. And understanding that and and being able to communicate that's really important. But I think regardless of where a company is in the world, you know, whether they're being pushed right now or will they, if they're not being pushed now, they will in the future, whether it's through regulation, uh, their shareholders, their customers, their employees, uh, every every company is going to get pushed in that direction. Do you think, though, regulation is one of the more effective ways of kind of forcing everyone to be more sustainable? <laughs> and therefore, yeah. should should you guys be helping to lead that conversation on the yeah, government Yeah, you know, uh, there are other organizations that are working more on the advocacy side of that. We work with the AM Coalition um, here in the U.S. that that's, that's sort of their focus. And so we support them. Uh, in in their efforts, because um, we can't, you know, we can't do everything. And so we're kind of doing our part, they're doing their part, and we work together. Um, you know, regulation is tricky, it, it definitely does move things along. But we also know, uh, especially in the US, I would say that those things do not move quickly. And so sometimes the regulation can lag far enough behind when you have this type of rapid technology development, that what they end up finally regulating is how it worked, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. And so um, I think there are other ways that that push this along, uh, especially just sort of with the culture, I'll say, of the U.S., uh, you know, where it's a little, sometimes it's more effective to do it with a carrot than a stick. 
Um, so, you know, if companies can produce things more sustainably and their customers say, yeah, that's exactly what we want, you know, that that has a pretty uh, big impact uh, when it's coming from the customers, the shareholders, the employees. So um, I think there's a number of ways of getting there uh, and, and really we should pursue all of them. Okay. Okay. And Sharon, what do you hope to achieve with MGTA in the next like five years or so? Wow. You know, five years in this type of innovation. And that's really where my background that comes into this is really around technology innovation. My, my background is in software, but it's similar in that it's, you know, trying to explain to, to companies why they need something that they've not had before and how this could uh, changing how they do things could, could be a benefit. Uh, so that's very familiar for me. So it, I think projecting sort of where this industry is in five years is really difficult because there's so much innovation happening, which is so exciting. Um, but uh, I, I think, you know, as we see the things that are happening around, you know, consolidation in the market uh, with some of the big players and, you know, a lot of that will continue. And that's always the way it is in, in innovation, right? Um, and, and that makes room for new startups to come in and, and address new needs, understand the market in a different way. Um, I think we're going to see some real advancements in materials. I think we're going to see better, better printers. What that means, I don't know. Is it going to be faster? Is it going to be bigger? Uh, different processes? I, I don't know that. Um, but I think it's really exciting to see where this is going to go. Uh, there's so much, you know, bringing new perspectives into this, which I think is really important, you know, where it's not just the same group of people, where we're really bringing in diverse views, not only from diverse groups like more women and, and other, you know, potentially marginalized, you know, especially when you think about science and, and technology groups bringing them in, but really just bringing in different perspectives, bringing in business people, bringing in uh, people that maybe don't have a technology or, a, you know, uh, engineering background, but they've got a design background, you know, bringing art architects into this because you just are bringing new views. And I think that's where we really have potential to really grow this is bringing those folks in because of what they bring to this new views, new perspectives, new ideas, um, I think is going to be really important. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your perspective today, Sherry. Thank you for your time. Yeah, been having you. it's been great. And thank you, Max, for being here as well today. Yeah, thank you, George. And thank you guys for listening. This is another episode of the 3D Pod, and everybody have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.